What up, y'all? Did you know that Black History Month began as Negro History Week? In 1926, Carter G. Woodson established Negro History Week. The celebration highlighted Black American lives, history, and contributions. In 1976, Negro History Week expanded to the month-long celebration we observe today. Carter G. Woodson, an African-American historian who graduated with a PhD from Harvard, founded the Association for the Study of African-American Life and History. The ASALH now leads nationwide Black History Month celebrations and establishes its themes. Welcome to another episode of the Folding Chair Podcast. Let's get it. Already, we're going we gonna, um, we gonna to wait a couple, like maybe a one more minute, let people log in, share this. Uh, why Black History Matters in Arkansas. This is a discussion. Arkansas Public Policy Panel, folding chair, visionary, all of that. So, you know what I'm saying? Want everybody to take a moment. Make sure y'all hit that share link. Hit that share link for us. And you know what I'm saying? We're going to have a good discussion. We got Dr. Eric Hughes sitting in with us. It's good. It was good. Man, I know people are going to be very excited, uh, you know what I'm saying, to uh, hear about what you've been researching and uh, talking about what you got going on personally and why Black History Matters here in Arkansas, you know what I'm saying, because that's your field of study, you know what I'm saying, you have done a lot of work around, you know what I'm saying, studying the uh, the federal infrastructure with the interstates, uh, local black history, just black studies in general, and, you know what I'm saying, talking about the history of black athletes. So we're going to get into all of that, you know what I'm saying, today. And, uh, you know what I'm saying, we're going we're gonna to make sure we get the word out there. We got some things coming up, you know, so we're working together on a few things. So we want to make sure we promote those events coming up, all the things you got going on with Visionary, Michelle Film Labs, and uh, Michelle Award and Film Labs. And yeah, you know what I'm saying? Because we're going to be collaborating on a lot of things. So we want to make sure everybody get that information. Ready. All right. It's going to be fun. Yeah, yeah, it's going to be a good one. All right, so we're going to welcome everybody in. Appreciate y'all. You know what I'm saying? Everybody that's watching on Facebook, everybody that's on Zoom. Appreciate y'all coming in for the Friday noon webinar. It's me, Osiris Bali, man, racial equity social justice coordinator with the Arkansas Public Policy Panel. Um, you know what I'm saying? Also host of the po- of the, of the podcast, the folding chair, where we, you know, we invite everybody. They don't feel like they got a seat at the table, they bring a folding chair. And so today, you know what I'm saying, I'm rocking with, you know what I'm saying, Dr. Eric Hughes. Uh for those of y'all who don't know. You know what I'm saying? He um, is our guest today. And you know what I'm saying? We got uh, we got some things to to discuss surrounding Black history. So happy Black History Month to everybody. Uh, give you a short little spill on Dr. Eric Hughes. He's an entrepreneur, artist, philanthropist, 
and faculty member in the Department of History at the University of Arkansas. His research examines Black geographies. We're going to get into that. Black geographies in America through the lens of the federal, uh, federal interstate development in his hometown, Little Rock, Arkansas. Dr. Hughes is the founder and CEO of Visionary Enterprises. You know what I'm saying? What's up? What's up, Eric, man? How you doing, bro? Doing well, doing well. Appreciate you having me, man. It's always good to be doing work with people in the city, bro. Yeah, most definitely. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, uh, just a little background for folks who don't know, man. I connected with Dr. Eric Hughes uh, a few years ago. And, man, we've been rocking real solid with each other over the last few years since we've known each other. We connected on a free Kenneth Reams campaign. And ever since then, man, a lot of our work has been intertwined where we um, work with each other frequently on developing some, some good campaigns and some good, uh, solid programming here in the state of Arkansas, you know what I'm saying, on Black Studies. And so it's a pleasure and an honor to be here with you again. I mean, I, I gave him a, a spill on what you do, but uh, what, what, what you want to add to that, bro? Uh, nah, it's, it's always an honor to be in the same space with you, bro. We rock with Black Liberation, man. So that's why we always find a, a common ground to do work together. Um, you 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 hit all the, the highlights for me, man. I'm really ready to get into the conversation today. Already. And so I appreciate you being here. And uh, we, we just going to pop it off strong, man. You know what I'm saying? Your research on Black geographies in uh in the state of Arkansas and you know saying overall in general man it's, it's powerful work it's a powerful lesson to the people uh we're looking at it from several different ways you know from a historical context to you know saying the community effects and displacement to economic disparities to the cultural impacts uh tell us about your research on black geographies and why that's important and why we need to really be paying attention and telling that story Already. Um, so, you know, in, in my work uh, as a scholar, I, I wear a number of hats, um, as you stated, uh, including husband and father. So I want to give a big shout to my family. And I definitely want to give a shout to to I'm a man of faith. So I give a shout to God who, who I feel makes all this possible for me. Um, but when it comes to black geographies and my scholarship, I'm a Southern historian. Uh, my research focuses on the impact of public policy and the intersections of race and space and public policy in urban America. Um, so when, when I start, I, I, I do a lot of research around this. I actually uh, created a new class at the University of Arkansas in Fayetteville called Black in the City. Uh, it's probably one of the blackest classes they didn't ever had, but it's, it's it's an examination into black geographies, um, and we'll talk more about what black what black geographies are. Um, and I'll give you a quick breakdown. Um, I definitely appreciate you giving a shout out to uh, to Visionary and what we do in the community because this all is a part of black geographies for me. Um, so, in my research, what I do is I help people understand their lived environment, their lived experiences, where we come from and where most people come from, you understand where the good and bad side of town is. If you're in a bigger city, you know where it is. If you're in a smaller town, you know where it is. And and there are reasons why we know this social conditioning around why we know this. And there are infrastructural and structural developments that support this, right? If you're in a bigger city, um, most of the time it's the interstate that can indicate where 
the good and bad sides of town start to um, start to uh, interact, right? And then if you're in a smaller town, you know, we had a saying cross the tracks, right? So you might mm -hmm. know where the good and bad sides of town is based off of these type of railroad infrastructural developments, right? Mm -hmm. So when we talk about Black geographies, Black geographies is what we examine in my course, Black in the City. And Black geographies, in essence, is a tool. Black geographies is, um, it comes out of the outgrowth of wanting to understand the Black experience. When you when you start talking about the post-civil rights movement, the Black power movements, when, when you have this this effort to start to intellectualize the black experience to start to add black uh black studies courses at universities and african-american studies programs at, at, at colleges and universities you know the 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 studying and the research of of black life that had had long been occurring at historically black colleges and universities start to get mainstreamed and intellectualized into into modern academia in the post uh civil rights era and so you start to see more studies around why Black life is the way it is, particularly in urban America. This is the same time period where we start to see the effects of post-segregation and you start to see the, the developments uh, such as the interstates in America and the growth of white flight in suburban America. You start to see uh, inner cities start to look a certain way and there is a certain group of people that live there. And, and, and the environment starts to reflect that. The services start to reflect that. The education starts to reflect that, right? Mm -hmm. And when it comes to looking at Black geographies, Black geographies is a tool to help people start to analyze and understand these experiences on a, on a couple of important levels. Um, I, I, I tell students that Black geographies is a tool to help interpret the black experience with greater justice right mm -hmm. to tell a, to tell a, a fuller story of what's going on in these spaces and why these things are occurring right because we just understand that these are the good and bad sides of town you know i ain't finna go get gas over here after a certain time of day or you know i'm right. I, I, don't, I ain't going to this kroger versus that kroger because this one is better than that one well why why are those things that way they didn't just pop up out the ground that way right mm -hmm. um they were designed with intent because of the concepts that we discussed in research in black geography so um uh, the couple of different levels that i talk about especially in my course uh, with students is um, there's a macro level of black geographies and a micro level of black geographies, and they're both equally important. Mm -hmm. So this macro level of black geographies is looking at the, the historic and systemic reasons and intersections for our conditioning around these spaces. It's the reason why when we say south of I-630, we all know what we're talking about. We all know who we're talking about. We all know what the land, how the landscape looks in these places, right? Mm -hmm. um, so there are historic and systemic reasons, you know, all the things that you started to outline and, uh, and, and more, right, around why these spaces look the way they do, why we understand them to be the way we understand them, and why we understand who lives there to be who lives there. And all of this is connected to, you know, concepts of freedom and citizenship, right? Because we're talking about America and we're talking about American history. So... It, there's no more fundamental concept to America and American history and American identity than freedom. And freedom is tied to citizenship. And these 
understandings that we have also are tied to limits on freedom and citizenship for these people who live in these spaces, right? So that's the macro level that we're talking about with Black geographies. And then when you're looking at the micro level, you're looking at the Black people themselves. What are they doing to refuse to accept this oppression and subjugation? What are they doing to instead define their own realities, define their own futures, define their own pathways to freedom and citizenship, right? Because that's happening every day all around you. Um, so when we talk about the intellect around Black geographies, this is a more recent um, subfield, and there are a number of methodologies within this subfield, but just a few scholars that I can throw at you if you want to uh, learn more about Black geographies and how this tool is used. That's why I said it's a tool, because you use Black geographies. You use Black geographies to better understand the conditions of our, of our environment, right? Mm -hmm. So there are a couple of scholars that I can point to that help us do that um, very well. And these people are publishing stuff within the last, you know, 20 to 25 years. So this is really cutting edge scholarship. If you go Google what is Black geographies, you're going to see a lot of long uh, webinar videos. You aren't going to see a lot of short uh, form content because this stuff is very, very new. And it's a new tool that we're constantly using and developing to better understand our world. Mm -hmm. So with that being said, um, I'll give you a few scholars. Um, most of them are going to be black women because black women just save the world. That Black right, women are just right, amazing, right? right? Um, so black women help us better understand black geographies, uh, black women such as uh, Catherine McKittrick. Um, I'll talk to you about her research in a moment. Um, she wrote this book called Demonic Grounds, which we'll talk more about. Um, there's a, a Black woman named Latoya Eves. She uh, researches and uh, analyzes Black, uh, queer Black Southern geographies. Um, there's a, 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 a scholar named Adam Bledsoe. He contextualizes global Black geographies. His focus was in Brazil, but then he expanded it to global Black geographies, looking at these things from a global perspective. Um, and then Ashante Reese. Ashante Reese, she's so dope. She looks at um, Black food geographies in Washington, D.C. So I'll mm -hmm. talk to you more about her in a moment, too. Um, so these scholars help us understand different dynamics of the Black experience using the tool of Black geographies, right? So I do that, too. I do it in a specific way, and I'll talk to you about that last uh, before we get into uh, whatever else. Um, so do, do you want me to keep going or do you want, do you, you want to shoot another question at me? Cause I can, I can keep digging into some more around black geographies and how these scholars have nah, used it. Nah, I definitely want you to elaborate on, on the people that you mentioned and, and explain a little bit more for the people. Already. So, uh, I'll give you a couple of these black women scholars who are changing the world and, and really giving us a new perspective on our freedom and citizenship as Americans and, and, and really just Black liberation overall from a from a global perspective. Mm -hmm. uh, Catherine McKittrick, she's a foundational scholar in uh, uh, modern Black geography. She wrote the book Black Geographies. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, she wrote this other book called Demonic Grounds. Now, I use this one because this one is really cool uh, with my, with, especially with Arkansas students, University of Arkansas students. This is a, you know, relatively, I say, overall a conservative space as a state, right? So the students that come in, we're in the Bible Belt. They come in with a certain concept of the term demonic, right? Mm -hmm. All right. So, and this is 
a key to understanding how black geographies as a tool is used. Uh, Catherine McKittrick, she wrote the book, Demonic Grounds, Black Women in the Cartographies of Struggle. Cartographies is the mapping, you know, geographies is maps and, you know, um, identification markers, population studies, all these different types of ways in which we chronicle the live experience. Well, um, Black geographies highlights the fact that traditional mapping has a Eurocentric, patriarchal, um, class point of view that often omits these Black experiences that are, def are uh, definitive to our understandings of freedom and citizenship. These push the, these Black experiences are pushing the limit on um, the realities of white supremacy and showing the realities of how Black people have exerted freedom and liberation, even in spite of all of these oppressive situations, right? So in Demonic Grounds, she's charting how Black women have reclaimed their own sense of power and identity, even through the process of enslavement and, and forced migration, right? She talks about these different areas in which Black women have reasserted their humanity, have reasserted their, have reasserted their power and their identity, even through these oppressive processes. And she uses the term demonic so effectively. I love it because it gives you a new way to see it. So in this Bible Belt, when I ask students, you know, uh, what... So what do you think when you when I first say demonic, you know, people say uh, evil, they say the devil, they say, you know, um, all these different things that are more e ecclesiastical terms, you know, terms that are related to, you know, religion and those types of uh, conversations. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's not the only definition for demonic. That's not the only lane in which the term demonic exists. Right. And Catherine Kitchick effectively showcases that you know, especially highlighting the scholars that she uses within her research to show that demonic has several other lanes in which the meaning is totally different, right? Um, the term demonic in mathematical and scientific and physics terms has a definition. The In mathematical terms, the, the definition for demonic means a working process that has an undeterminable or undefinable result, right? So mm -hmm. it's a process. It's something you can clearly see as a method, a process, and the process, the end results of it are undeterminable. You cannot know what they are from the beginning of the process. And that's that's how the term demonic is used in mathematic and scientific and you know uh, other types of uh, less ecclesiastical terms. So Catherine McKittrick says that Black women utilize this type of understanding in their approach to freedom without pushing it to these terms of the demonic. Of course, they didn't understand. They, they weren't doing it to uh, utilize uh, demonic as uh, the, within those terms of the mathematic, physical, and scientific realm. However, by let's just give an example by choosing to escape from slavery, Harriet mm. Tubman. Yeah. Harriet Tubman had no way of knowing what her outcome would have been by choosing to escape from slavery or going back to get other people to escape from slavery, right? These, these this is a it's a work escape was a workable process. It's a clearly mm -hmm. understandable process. It's clearly understandable about why she was doing it. It's mm -hmm. clearly understandable about how she went about it. 
And it's clearly understandable that she had no way of knowing whether it was going to be successful or not. Yeah, most definitely. Most definitely. And so by using that terminology, we now have a new way to understand the Black experience during enslavement, particularly for Black women, because Catherine McKittrick, just as other Black women have always saved the world, gives us a new perspective on how to understand these experiences, right? Not just the oppressive situations that's causing these Black women to have to uh, deal with this um, 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 subjugation and deal with these oppressive realities, but also how they fought, how they refused to accept this, mm -hmm. how they created and reclaimed their own power and reclaimed their own liberation, right? That's that's valuable. You know what I mean? That's where you learn because that hasn't been told. Those stories haven't been traditionally mapped, right? Mm -hmm. So that's one example. I'll give you a second one. Uh, Ashante Reese. I told you about Ashante Reese. So she's so dope. She does um, black food geographies right. in Washington, D.C. So she studies this community, uh, Deanwood, in Washington, D.C. And she looks at all of these policies that create what we understand as the experiences related to food inequalities and, and lack of access to food, particularly in black communities, right? Food so yeah. yeah. Yes. And I'm glad you used that term because that's where the black geographies helps us to grow. So check it out. And uh Ashante Reese, she outlines all these different concepts that uh contribute to food apartheid, um, supermarket redlining, you know, mm -hmm. all these things where that's why this Kroger is better than that Kroger, this family dollar is better than that family dollars, because the people who invest in these spaces understand the consumers, they understand the, the people who manage in it, and they know the community that it's in. So they they only invest a limited amount of uh support into that infrastructure as opposed to another space that can be the same store, but they, they know the consumers are a different demographic. Um, and mm -hmm. so they invest more into those spaces, right? Um, it's, it's, that's the way it is. And so when you look at uh, Shante Reese, she helps us understand how we can better know these communities and the, and the impact of food and access by the terminology such as food apartheid as opposed to food desert because mm -hmm. food desert tends to make it uh, appear that there is no opportunities, that there is no access to um, food systems and that there is no self-definition happening within these spaces, that there is just oppression happen to, happening to these communities, that all these choices are made about these communities and that there is no agency within these communities themselves. And so what Angel Reese does is she talks to a man named Mr. Johnson. Mr. Johnson been growing his own food in Deanwood for years. And he's a number, he's among a number of other black uh, urban uh, dwellers within Washington, D.C. who grow their own food because these people are defining and generating their own. They're refusing to accept the situation as it is regarding food and access and inequities. And they're defining their own pathways for freedom regarding quality food. Right. So these things happen every day. He's not doing that because he's trying to chart a new black food geography, but nobody's telling his story. Mm -hmm. Nobody's mapping that uh, refusal on the geography's map of organic food in Washington, D.C., because they don't think it exists in a quote unquote food desert. Right. Mm -hmm. they, they, or 
looking what actually is there. Even if you look in the real physical desert, there's life all throughout the physical desert, right? right, right. So this is the wrong type of terminology. And, and Black Geographies helps us land at a better type of terminology, such as food apartheid. And it gives us the, uh, the opportunity to understand how Black people in these communities are generating their own freedom and liberation for food access, right? Right, right. Yeah, and this so it's a tool. Yeah, man, this this is a very, very relevant conversation we have right now. I, I'm gonna have to check out our sister Shante Reese because we are talking about this in Little Rock currently. When we're looking at West Little Rock having quality food access because they have a Walmart, a Target, Trader Joe's, Costco, Whole Foods, and now they're about to build an Aldi all within like a two to three mile radius in West Little Rock, multiple food options from franchises. And then we looking at 12th Street going on over 10 years hey, with no hey. grocery store. My 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 address was 805 Jefferson Street. I My phone number was 501-664-0073. Yep. <laughs> it wasn't nothing there then. It ain't nothing there now. Yep. As far as what you just outlined, and it's because of supermarket redlining, right? It's because yep. of these intentional choices that institutions and state powers and all of these different economic um, coalitions make regarding the communities themselves, that they aren't worth investing these types of resources into because of who lives there and the reputation and understanding socially and conditioning socially that we have around these spaces. That's the intersection of race, space, and place and public policy when yeah. it comes to urban America, right? Bro. So uh, I, do, I do Black geographies. I'm a Black geographer. Uh, and really, I show people and my students that Black Geographies offers uh, what Catherine McKittrick calls a, a new telos, a new telos. Telos means direction, mm -hmm. a new direction. And it gives you a new way to see and understand um, the limits of freedom, but also the 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 fight for freedom, the push for freedom that Black people have, the push for liberation that Black people have here in America and beyond. So I do black geographies and I'm actually here for some help. I'm here for some help from you, from the Little Rock community, because yeah. I'm researching um, what I classify as black freeway geographies. Okay. So with my interstate research, obviously black geographies is a tool. It's a tool to help you understand these things. So, you know, I'm outlining all of the macro price uh, processes. I've done a lot of that type of work with, uh, with my research and all of those types of things. So I'm currently working on all different types of, ways to gather information about the stories of black people in Little Rock who are pushing for freedom and liberation. Yeah. Um, you know, when it comes to interstates and how interstates divide communities, you know, there's growing information and understandings around this. I look at how Interstate 630 was a part of this growing intent and how the, you know, the development of the interstate system is 
you know, curiously connected from a chronological standpoint with the desegregation of American public education, right? Mm -hmm. So, you sure. know, all of these different things support each other, and you're not going to necessarily find them outlined on paper. However, however, when we utilize tools such as Black geographies, we start to better connect not only the impact of these um, oppressive structural types of decisions and policy making, but also the resistance efforts and the refusal to accept these things that Black communities have had, what Black people have done to define their own freedom and liberation, have done and are doing mm -hmm. to define their own freedom and liberation in Little Rock, right? So, you you know, historically, this is a number of things, you know, the i give you just a few examples. The, the Arkansas State Press, you know, the Bates' newspapers. This is their, This is an expression of free speech and liberation of, of the Black voice, right? The HBCUs, as well as the Greek communities in Little Rock and North Little Rock, all these different things are um, ways to seek freedom and citizenship through education. Um, I wrote a history for Arkansas Baptist College. Shout out to Arkansas Baptist College. I taught at Philander Smith. Shout out to Philander Smith. You know, mm -hmm. all these different schools were set up to help provide freedom and citizenship through access to education for black communities in our city. Um, so even and then even if you look at church communities, you know, black church communities have been just vital to supporting the freedom and liberation of black communities in Little Rock, especially as, you know, these types of developments happen, the resistance to desegregation in 1957, you know, the, the racial violence that has occurred throughout the 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 history of, of inner city Little Rock, right? All of the different things that black communities have fought for has largely been because they had space in a black church to mm -hmm. meet. You know what I mean? So um, these, these types of uh, historical um spaces are a part of that black geography and that black freeway geography because most of them are probably south of i-630 right mm. um and then today what are we doing today you know i i can just it's so many i just people that i've worked with and people that i continue to uh do work with um little rock freedom fund you know shout out to little rock freedom fund uh, there's a, a a a fire story about Arlo Washington and the work yeah. that he's doing Little Rock. Um, nominated for an Oscar. Nominated for, for an sure, Oscar. For sure. Shout out. Little Rock. And it's, it's a powerful example, you know, exactly. of that refusal to accept the status quo uh, in Little Rock. Um, Benito uh, Lubazibwa, Remix Ideas, uh, Brandon House, uh, yeah. work doing culturally, artists, Deja Cooper, yourself, numerous others, you know, uh, the, the, the Pyramid, um, art gallery, you know, all these different spaces are examples of Black refusal to accept the status quo as it is in Little Rock and to create their own, define their own freedom and liberation. And I ain't say names to skip nobody out because, again, it's thousands and it's every day. It ain't even always just on a, on a bigger, more institutional level. It's everyday realities for Black people in Little Rock that's, you know, creating their own freedoms in spite of all of this oppression, right? So yeah. I would love to hear the stories. You know, send send us a DM to Visionary, at Visionary, uh, send me an email. Uh, I'll put together a little reading list based on uh, research that we have. And, and I would love to hear from you all the stories of what people are doing from all different lanes, economic lanes, education lanes, artistic lanes, you know, uh, 
organizing lanes. What are people doing to support the freedom and liberation of Black people in Little Rock? Because that's what I'm most concerned with is what are people doing to support the freedom and liberation of Black people wherever they are? Yeah, most definitely. So, yo, everybody that's watching and listening, man, tap in with Dr. Eric Hughes and Visionary because you got stories to tell about the impact that you're making on the liberation and freedom of Black folks and the Black communities here in Arkansas. Tap in and let's make sure we document those stories because that's the only way we can teach the next generation. We got to have some documentation. You know what I'm saying? This, this is something that uh, goes all the way back to our history in Africa with the griot. The griot hold it down for the whole community and tell the story by, you know what I'm saying, not by just with the written, but just verbally just telling the story and passing it down from generation to the next generation because we got to have the next griot you know what I'm saying? We got to develop that too. So, uh, that's man. all our voice. That's all our voice throughout that whole process. Yeah, most definitely. Most definitely. I got a question, uh, you know what I'm saying, from one of our viewers and listeners right now. Uh, the question is, uh, how do place, how do place names tie into black geography? And I'm assuming they're saying like the names of neighborhoods and streets. That's my assumption. But how do place yeah. names tie into black geography? I mean, the naming of a space defines a, it defines a thing. It's the reason why we understand what what MLK is in any city that you in, pretty much. You know, it's the reason that it looks the same, uh, or not the same. It's the reason that it has a familiar experience in numerous cities where you know wherever you are. Um, the naming of a thing defines it, right? Mm -hmm. And the naming of a thing is power because names change. So I'll give you an example of of from a real example from where I am up here. And I was telling my students about this the other day. So, you know, we got a, uh, this, this kind of, we got a, uh, we got a basketball arena here at the University of Arkansas in Fayetteville. It's called Bud Walton Arena. You know, yeah. play basketball there and all that kind of stuff, right? So, we, we, black folks in Arkansas, we know about Arkansas basketball for the most part. We, we, we know Arkansas basketball. And it's a reason because we've, fell in love with one of the most successful basketball coaches in our university's history. Nola Richardson. Coach Richardson was yeah. foundational to black people's relationship with the game of basketball in Arkansas. Right. right? About right. that. And now when I just said that, think about the fact that on this campus, there was no, there, there currently is no statue for this man to represent his accomplishments. There was only just recently a court naming for this man after some protesting and some, some work done by local community members to have a court named after him and about the naming of the spaces and, and the question that was asked, the black alumni society came together with the city of Fayetteville to change the street name in front of Bud Walton Arena to Nolan Richardson Drive so the space can honor the most successful basketball coach that we've had who happens to be a black man. Mm -hmm. Because that story would have, that street would have likely never been renamed without the efforts of the black alumni and the black community members who came together to say, no, this needs to change.
right? So that's a that's a reclaiming of power. That's a reclaiming of legacy. That's a a generation of voice. That's a generation of new new realities. Because anybody that comes there now and forever will be coming to Nolan Richardson Drive. And if you don't know who Nolan is, now you gonna go know who Nolan is. You know, most definitely. And I want to I want to add this to that, man. I, I got to give a shout out to somebody else who understands exactly what you're talking about to a group that understands exactly what you're talking about and the importance of making sure that we have uh, our name etched in history too, because, you know, we, we come from these neighborhoods and, you know what I'm saying, we, a lot of times we don't even know the history of why the neighborhood was named this, right? We don't know who John Barrow is, or, you know what I'm saying? We don't, we don't know why they call it the Panky community, you know what I'm saying? Uh, you know what I'm saying? But I got to give a shout out to Arkansas Peace and Justice Memorial Movement. Uh, Clarice Abdul Bay and Kwame Abdul Bay. Right. They are, they literally last year uh, got the memorial marker put in the Argenta to uh, honor the life of Homer G. Blackwell, who was lynched in the Argenta in 1906. Right. And that story hasn't been told you know what I'm saying? But they made sure that that marker got placed there and honored him on that on that street so people know and understand the history of what was happening in North Little Rock in the Argenta area, where now it's considered the Argenta Arts District. And, right. and you got so much going on from live entertainment to poetry to- uh, Gentrification. Bars. Oh yeah, all of that, all of that. But you know what I'm saying? We got to continue to carry that story on too. So. That's that's important to what you mentioned and because we have to stake our claim and etch our names in history too, so that we right. can to tell those stories. And that's a part of it. So hundred percent. Shout out to Kwame and Clarice, shout out to uh Angel Bird in the Dunbar community yes. and uh Miss Annie Abrams. Miss Annie Abrams is the reason that some of these streets are named the way they are. I think it was Bussy Avenue, I think uh it uh -huh. might be Daisy Bates. Uh, Avenue, you know, some of these streets that now recognize our black Little Rock uh, heroes are, is, is those are the, the the shoulders of people that's been doing that work for all that time. So shout out to Miss Annie. Most definitely, most definitely, man. It's, we we listen to some names that y'all definitely can go Google, you know what I'm saying, and learn all about. I encourage everybody to go, if you're from Little Rock, go, go look up who Josephine Pankey is. Uh, go look up Miss Annie Abrams. These are people that are a part of our history, living Black history going on right now. Um, also, I, I just want to ask you uh, another question. What are some current challenges that you see faced by Black communities in Little Rock related to the legacy of the interstate development and what opportunities exist for addressing these challenges through urban planning, community development, and institutions? Man, that's a that's a that's an amazing question, and I get that question a lot. You know, it's almost as if people, you know, want to know uh, uh, what band aid to go get for the surgery that's required, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, and at the same time, you know we got to start somewhere to fix these issues. And so what, what, what I do in, in our lane is uh, narrative and storytelling, right? And mm -hmm. so all of these things are part of what you're talking about uh, with uh, the markers in Argenta and even these different 
ways and elements in which we start to tell our own stories that creates power and value right you know mm -hmm. as you mentioned um arlo's story is nominated for uh, an oscar award and that's indicating the the value of those types of stories right it's mm -hmm. a it's a tangible education uh indication of those the value of those types of stories and so when we talk about those communities um, the challenges, again, that I look at from a research standpoint are connected to our social conditioning around the, the processes of these environments, the processes of shaping these environments. So, you know, I look at how the gentrification that happens in these environments is understood as progress. Mm -hmm. And it's understood as progress because that's how it's being presented that's how it's that's how it's defined through the eyes and the lens of the state and, and the local um coalition of powers right and so you know the, the those stores being put in that space that you defined in west little rock that's termed as progress and and and, and we're conditioned to see it that way and we're conditioned to not see it as supermarket redlining you see what I mean? And it's around and 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 historically that has um in American urban communities been a result of the the progressive generation, that generation at the beginning of the 1900s that wanted to try to fix the problems in society. And one of the things that they gave us, one of the legacies of that generation are are ideas that you can sacrifice some of your freedoms for the betterment of or for the you know empowerment of society as a whole you know we live with that concept every day when you drive up to a four-way stop there ain't nobody making you stop at that four-way stop but you believe that by me stopping at this four-way stop me and whoever else at this intersection will get through this process you know safely right mm -hmm. uh, so with that being said processes such as eminent domain mm -hmm. processes such as right away these are tools that are strategies that were implemented to to um to engage specific communities communities that had the path of least resistance communities communities that had the least means to fight against these types of uh developments right and so when you're um reshaping where people are living when you're displacing communities when you're redeveloping areas you have to justify this. And so the language of progress was utilized. You know, these blighted communities need to be renovated. There need to be urban renewal in these spaces, right? And we need to start to renovate and um, make these spaces more economically friendly. You know, that's the 1930s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, you know, in the 80s. And then, you know, in a freeway, in the freeway generations, the post-freeway generations, you see a de-industrialization of these cities, a de-investment of these spaces to where now these spaces are turned to ghettos. And then all of a sudden now, these spaces are back valuable. Yeah. And they're being bought for pennies on the dollar of their actual worth. And the people who had control of these spaces are losing control of these spaces because they don't have the economic means to resist it. Right. And we're still calling it progress. Well, hey, you just said a whole word. We watching this right now in Little Rock. How it's all ties in. Because I grew up going to visit my friends in the East End. And now they termed it East Village. 
And now all of a sudden, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's it's it, they put in, they put in places to eat. Got a little small little grocery store over there. You know, uh, they they selling these houses for five times of what they used to be. And you know what I'm saying? Uh, we're we're seeing uh, even a, a art a artist loft being funded and put right in that area coming up in the next year or so, spending millions of dollars, millions of dollars for that. And and they and and they say that that's progress, but you know progress. what I'm saying. We we know what displacement looks like. You know, <laughs> you I'm know. really not the one to let you spit on me and tell me it's raining. So you know, yeah. that's what that's what black geographies helps us to do is to understand the limits of where freedom and citizenship are actually are. You know. Yeah, yeah, and and I, and, when, and when you mentioned earlier, you were talking about uh, cartographers and. The first thing that came to my mind when you were talking about how they this mapping and everything like that, redistricting, you know what I'm saying? These are the people that are supposed to be the experts when it's time to redistrict and do that census and all that type of stuff. And we see how that impacts um, uh, our voting, our voting rights, and uh, our, our districts and how they are lined out congressionally and local, local government-wise. You know, and, and and it falls into play when we're talking about schools too, because that's when the new school zones get built. All of a sudden, this school that you zone to is deemed failing because you know um, of how everything is outlined and what the demographics look like, and this is why they want to tear down this public school and come back around 30, 40 years later and put something else there. Or, you know what I'm saying, charter school, whatever. You know what I'm saying? It, I, I, all this mapping, it, it, it ties in together. Man, you know what I'm saying? I, I, I'm not going to um, continue to go down that, that rabbit hole, uh, but I, I got another question for you. We're going to start wrapping things up. Um, what, what, what can we do you know what I'm saying? As far as I know, you're gonna be collecting the stories and documenting and, and and talking to a lot of people in the community. We we definitely gonna help you when any, any way possible we can with that. But also, what can we do as community people um, to support organizations? like yourself and others, like the Dunbar Historic Neighborhood Association. Um, what can we do to better support you all and also help us develop a, a quality black history curriculum here in Arkansas so that we can implement that into our schools as well too? Man, you know, that's a that's a that's a a, a lot of work and a tall task, man. But you know, you eat an elephant one bite at a time, right? You you I would Start with understanding where you can uh, add value, you know, whether it's in um, volunteer support, whether it's in connections or communications, fundraising, whatever it is. If there's a space where now that the you have this tool of, of black geographies to understand where freedom is limited, you know, that's where you can go and try to find a place to apply support to those areas in whatever ways that you can add value in. You know the, the 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 black freedom struggle is is continuous. You know, mm -hmm. as long as there's you know oppression and 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 lack of freedom, there's always going to be a need for 
you know, support for that freedom in a number of capacities, especially, you know, financially, because a lot of these community organizations that's out here doing the work don't necessarily have that. They're not on that map. They're not on that nonprofit philanthropy map. They're not on that, you know, funding structure map. And so, you know, they th these are the organizations that really can best benefit from the local support and best benefit from you adding your value, whether it's telling your story or lending your support in, in whatever capacity you can. Already, already. Well, yeah, we definitely got to support our local people who are local Black-led organizations who are preserving their history, telling that story, like Visionary, like I mentioned, the uh, Dunbar uh, Neighborhood Historic Association, uh, Arkansas Peace and Justice Memorial Movement, Little Rock Freedom Fund, Arkansas Public Policy Panel, uh, we have a plethora of social justice nonprofits that are, you know what I'm saying, continuing to carry that torch and, and tell the story of what is going on locally in Arkansas. And, uh, you know what I'm saying, we're working on that Black History campaign as well to uh, help develop uh, a curriculum for what Black history can be uh, taught, how it can be taught in Arkansas, and also you know, saying supporting the AP African American History course that's at, I believe, six schools in the state of Arkansas. Uh, shout out to Grassroots Arkansas, who uh, who, who also uh, making sure they they are in the fight to give a quality Black History education here in the state of Arkansas as well too. Uh, and like I said, we got to definitely get people to go support you at Visionary and start documenting stories. I know y'all documenting through video, film, and y'all doing a whole lot of work as far as like showing black filmmakers. Uh, before we close it down and, and you know, tell people a little bit about uh, Michelle Film and Award Labs. I mean, I'm sorry, Michelle Award and Film Labs and the work Visionary is doing, you know what I'm saying, to support that. Um, that part of preserving black history by amplifying the voices of black filmmakers. Man, no, I appreciate that. I appreciate the opportunity, man. So um, again, uh, Visionary is an organization we focus on black culture preservation and film and media education and social justice programming. Mm -hmm. So one of the ways that we execute our mission is through the Michelle Award and Film Labs program. Uh, the Michelle Award and Film Labs program was started in 2020. Um, one of our uh, earliest interns at Visionary, who's now an amazing filmmaker herself, she wrote, she made a film about the history of Pine Bluff. Her name is Neba Evans. So shout out to Neba. Um, we came together and created a program to help support creators of color in Arkansas. And the goal is to help them build sustainable success. And we do it in three ways. Uh, number one, we hand them, we not hand them, they earn money. Uh, we we give out money to support film projects at all stages of development. Um, and since 2020, we've given out over $25,000 to creators of color in Arkansas. And we just are releasing our 2024 Michelle Award uh, class uh, this month in February. So those are about to drop and it's going to be some amazing projects. So right. we support creators of color through funding. We support them through education. We host labs throughout the state of Arkansas where we uh, 
train people in different aspects of uh, film and media production. Um, we'd go to colleges around the state and, and do different programs, et cetera, colleges and communities. And then we also host social events where we bring communities together in support of creators of color and help them make the connections to sustain their projects and take them to the next level. Um, we have some amazing things that's coming up for 2024. And if you're interested in learning more about the Michelle Award and Film Labs, uh, you can either find us on the Visionary uh, website or if you want to go to the Michelle Award and Film Labs website is www.michellefilmlabs.org. And we can connect and see how we can bring what we do to your community to help connect our state. Our goal is to create a pipeline of success and we want to show creative. We want to change the narrative around uh, success in film and media that most creatives of color for sure think that they have to leave the state of Arkansas to be successful. And we're building a pipeline to help show them that you don't have to leave the state of Arkansas to be successful in film and media and that you can get your projects shown at the highest levels and experience success at the highest levels. So that's our ultimate goal, and that's what we're working towards. And we appreciate working with people such as you and the Little Rock Freedom Fund. We got a project that's uh, an event that's showing on February the 26th, I believe, yeah. at the Robinson Theater. Um, it's going to be a uh, showing of the film Rustin. Uh, mm -hmm. So, you know, to Bayer Rustin for sure. We're going to have a toast to Bayer Rustin to celebrate him and all the work that he did for the movement. And, you know, this aligns for us uh, with Visionary with that with that question of how does this support the freedom and liberation of black people? And even when with our lens, is you know, that's all black people. How does this support the freedom and liberation of black gay people, of, of black poor people, of black, you know, whoever else, of all black people? And so we definitely want to create space to celebrate Bayard and all, Bayard Rustin and all the great things that. Uh, he was able, able to contribute to the movement that made us more free as a people overall. Most definitely, most definitely. So for everybody that's listening, make sure y'all come to the Rustin screening, February 26th, that's a Monday, at 5.30, we're going to be popping it off with a toast to Bob Rustin and talking about his life. We're going to have some free, uh, free beverages for y'all uh, from 5.30 to about 6.30, and at 6.30 we're going to start the uh, screening of Rustin, uh, and that's at the Ron Robinson Theater. It's free. It's free. And let me add that to that, too. You know what I'm saying? We want to make sure that everybody knows 530, you know what I'm saying? Come on out, do the Toaster Bar at Rustin. But at the same time, 630, movie going to be started. Netflix um, has gave us the licensing to go ahead and do this, and we're going to show that film for free. Everybody's welcome. We're going to put the link out there soon. And afterwards, it's going to follow with a panel discussion with some of the organizations that are helping sponsor it about the importance of allyship and inclusion in movements for social change. Uh, for those of y'all don't know, Rustin uh, was produced by uh, Michelle and Barack Obama's production company, Higher Ground. And uh, it's, the film stars uh, Coleman Domingo, uh, Chris Rock, uh, Glenn Turman, uh, Jeffrey Wright, Audrey McDonald, and Coleman Domingo, plays in the title role and he was nominated for Oscar for best performance, best actor performance. And um, we got a number of organizations that's helping us put that together. Michelle Award and Film Labs, uh, Little Rock Freedom Fund, Arkansas Public Policy Panel, Intransitive, the Human Rights Campaign in Arkansas, uh, Little Rock Racial and Cultural Diversity Commission, 
Yellow Velvet Studios, Get Loud Arkansas, Arkansas Cinema Society, and Central Arkansas Library System. So this is a big, big, big collaborative effort, uh, Black-led effort as well to show this film. And so it's gonna be a good time start to finish. Y'all don't wanna, y'all really don't wanna miss none of it. From start to finish from the toast, we have a DJ up in there. So we're gonna, we're gonna turn up a little bit. We're gonna do a real toast. And then we're gonna watch this film that's, that's, uh, that's amazing award winner and then after it's going to be a great discussion it's going to be so much information given out there make sure y'all come ready to get some handouts and uh exchange some business cards and, and just link up and meet some of the real uh people who are doing the work for social change here in arkansas you know what i'm saying so it's a big collaborative effort bro uh you got any more announcements or anything that we can uh, tell the people any uh any social media information you want to throw out there Man, you can follow us at Visionary at Vision Air I V I S I O N A I R I. Uh, my website is www.truevisionary.com. T R U Visionary.com. Um, we got a lot of things going for Black History Month, and then we also have a lot of things going throughout the year upcoming. And uh, we we really are um honored to be in this space and be able to work with you to help document this. Uh, the the stories of people in our communities, man, because that's you know that's that's where the, the value is, and that's where we can continue to to build freedom as a people. Most definitely, well, uh, Doctor Hughes, man, it's been a pleasure talking to you about learning so many things. I, I, and I know when we drop this episode, we're gonna have to I'm gonna have to link up with you before we drop it on our on our podcast and get some of those links to the people that you mentioned as far as like the researchers that you have followed the black women that have been talking about black geography and also you know tapping in we're gonna put them links to get in contact with you because we need folks who are ready to tell their story to tap in asap uh this is a this is a great project that you're working on i look forward to seeing the the, the fruits of all the labor that you got going with this research and documentation and, I, and I've already checked people what you've been doing just in general, you know what I'm saying, over the last couple of years, man, it's powerful work, man. And you know what I'm saying? You've been a blessing to the whole state for sure. And so uh, we're going to sign out. I appreciate everybody tuning in for this new webinar. Thank you again to Dr. Eric Hughes. Make sure y'all hit that share button. Salute to all of y'all. And, and, uh, and look, everybody, let's celebrate Black history uh 365 all year round you know what I'm saying i know we highlighting it in the month but we need to cont continue to support and celebrate black history all year long implement black history not into just social studies classes but implement it and infuse it into all subjects you know so all the core classes all the subjects because that's how vital we are to everything going on out here I got a shirt, man. Uh, I bought it in Chicago when I was on a trip up there doing some work. And it, it says, uh, Black people created everything y'all love. And every, <laughs> every time I wear I get so many looks, man. I be forgetting this on the back of my it's on the back of my shirt. But uh, I'm going to be rocking that joint this, this week for sure, man. All right. I appreciate Thanks you, dog, man. Y'all have a good one, man. And have a great weekend, all right? All right. All right, long list CEO, peace. If we do not do this work, 
if we do not collaboratively call into question a system of knowledge that delights in accumulation by disposition and profits from ecocidal and genocidal practices, if we do not produce and share stories that honor modes of humanness that cannot and will not replicate the system, we are doomed. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Folder Chip Podcast. Peace. Thank you.